Oh, here we go. Hey, we're rolling. This is, this is our last digital office hours till we meet in studio for the Bloomberg TV edition of Office Hours. And what a great way to get started here. We have Jason Perry, CEO and co-founder of Engagency, which I love the name. And uh, I would love to know about the services that Engagency, which sounds appropriate for these days, uh, what services do uh, Engagency provide? Well, um, we're a systems integrator. Um, so we provide a whole array of services that help organizations with uh, their, their whole digital uh, transformation. Um, so everything from C, um, CMS to CRM to e-commerce, um, uh, we're getting into UX and, uh, and, uh, oh, really? a whole variety of consulting services. So, um, yeah. And where'd, well, you, where'd you start at? Sorry, Blaine. No, that's fine. Yeah. Which, which service was the core, the core business that evolved over these years into the engagency model? Well, it, it's a, it was an interesting journey. So, you know, oddly enough, we started off working for small companies and, and nonprofits uh, back in the early 2000s. And um, at about 2008, we, um, we really found our focus. Um, and we, we started working with a particular content management system called Sitecore. Um, and noticed that the, the clients that were using this platform were very large and it was it just made business sense to focus um, on on these bigger platforms so we did something very unusual for that that day and age which was to become a specialist um, in a platform and uh, we we built up our company around basically being technical experts in in this particular platform and um, and we've grown from there. So we we really kind of focused on building a reputation and, and a quality of service and, and a culture. And from there, we've uh, been given an opportunity to to really expand all of our services once we really mastered our core services. So that's awesome. Yeah, that is. I mean, I, I'm very intrigued with this you know, for a couple of the integration part of it. Uh, yeah, as it couples to engagement. Um, and I'm looking at scaling, uh, just a scaling question here. If, if I'm, you know, which, yeah, I've got a small size business. Yeah. How would I, how would I use uh, services that you would provide if I'm not an enterprise size, size group? Well, we, we particularly uh, tend to work with larger enterprise organizations. Yep. Um, so in, in, in our situation, we probably wouldn't be the best fit for a mid-market company. Uh, yep. We tend to work with, with organizations that are doing 500 million to our largest client is 2 trillion in assets. So we, we tend to do very large, uh, very large scale projects. One of the projects that we're going to be working on uh, this year is a complete uh, global redevelopment uh, um, for for a financial services company. So um, we tend to we tend to work with some very large organizations that are uh, that that depend on on really high quality of service and 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 um, and, and a good attitude, a servant's heart, and that's really what yeah. we. Actually, that is really what we compete on. We're in the technology field, but really, we're we're competing on the on the customer service side of things. We're we're trying to create an experience that all of our customers 
want to to uh, to be a part of and to uh, to keep around for the long run. You know, and th- this external and internal digital divide uh, that has created, especially during COVID, you know, a lot of separation uh, between customers and their sales associates, yeah. their yeah. manager, and internally, obviously, it's caused separation as well. And you have bootstrapped the company uh, to great success and under the auspice, as you said, of being able to provide uh, a brand, a big brand, excellent customer service, uh, and sell through, not to, but selling through these clients so that they're hyper-engaged in the brand, emotionally attached to the brand because they like it and trust it. Um, What are some of the things that you do differently to create that engagement. I mean, you have branded yourself as the agency company. What are some of the things that you do to distinguish yourself to engage, you know, which is a difficulty for big brands with their consumers? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, oddly enough, uh, 80% of it is just delivery what you say you're gonna do on time and on budget. Not not out at all. That's it. That's <laughs> So, you know, uh, being impeccable with your word is, is, uh, is a big differentiator uh, for us. Um, and unfortunately, in this industry, there are a lot of empty promises that are made and, and people are let down. So when, when a client comes to us, uh, when a prospect comes to us and they don't feel like they've been, you know, receiving the, the level of service, we, we have kind of a, uh, kind of a, 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 I don't even know how to explain it, maybe kind of a, a mama's hug you know we're like it's going to be okay we're going to help you here's the path forward we do diagnostics to figure out exactly what's going wrong from a technical perspective we try to understand what went wrong from a relationship standpoint and then we meet them where they are and we help them get where they they need to go so it's really it's about being reliable and it's about being trustworthy um you know and it's about putting the customer's needs first um and i think in a lot of situations uh vendors like ours they they start to think about what's going to make them the most money and they don't think to maybe talk somebody out of a bad idea or help steer them in a direction that's going to be uh, better optimize the budget and and have a better impact. Um, and, and, you know, you may not overtly be blamed for, for allowing a customer to make poor decisions about how to spend a budget, but in, but in the end, you really kind of are held accountable. So we take that really seriously. And uh, when, when, when a client comes to us and says, Hey, we we're thinking we want to do it this way you know, we are objective enough to say, Hey, this might not make us a, a much as much money in the short run, but we're going to, you know, uh, you know, nudge you in, in the, or suggest that you move in that direction. So it's really, it's, it's about being altruistic. Love it. You know, I, I, I know, uh, Jason, that you are a real big believer and, uh, 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 proponent of AI and the use of AI as going forward here. How do you see that playing out in the, in the, uh, the development of both the marketing and the tech uh, outreach uh, with, you know, with the organizations that you're working with? How's that, how's that coming into play? Well, it's interesting because I've been chasing this dream since 2000 uh, when my when one of my early bosses, uh, Hans Peter Bromo, uh, wrote uh, the engaged customer. I actually worked for him um, many years ago, and 
you know, there were, you know, these early ideas about, you know, personalized marketing and, and, you know, marketing that didn't really feel like marketing. Uh, it felt very tailored to our own needs and desires. And so, you know, it's obviously taken quite a while for that technology to, to really um, deliver. Um, and, uh, but we're on the precipice of some really major advancements um, I think so far, a lot of marketing technology has been perceived as being kind of creepy, but the, the more advanced types of um, personalization technologies that are out there now, they can listen to uh, what, you're, what you're saying, so to speak, with your clicks and your, your online behavior, and um, it can gently start to uh, you know, change content and offers and things in ways that, that feel more relevant. And when you have a large brand and you have a lot of different offerings, it's really important to be able to identify who that, that visitor is, uh, what they are really desiring and, and in the way that you communicate, I mean, cause say you have a, a large manufacturing company and you appeal to the average homeowner and an engineer and a variety of other personas, um, it's really important to be able to uh, to be able to identify who these people are and get them to what they want uh, very quickly. And and when you look at like the modern navigation system, you know the the the, the big mega menu. Um, I think what we're we're starting to see on the design side is that um, these navigation systems are starting to break down. They're not totally intuitive. And so by by implementing things like personalization and um, and, and, and smart search experiences, you can shortcut this stuff. People don't need to go try to figure out, you know, the information architecture that some UX person came up with that they thought all would, you know, would fit everybody, but it, it, you know, just by interacting with the site, it's going to surface the things that are relevant to you. So that's a very promising, uh, uh, competitive advantage that I think a lot of these brands uh, are very interested and have been interested for years in in implementing in a meaningful way and have just not been able to for either planning reasons or uh, or for you know budgeting reasons uh, and technology reasons frankly some of the technology doesn't quite work as 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 advertised and um, and and you know we have to be honest with uh, with ourselves about that aspect so there's a number of things that have been holding it back but the but the key to making all of this work is using the machines to do the thinking and that's that's not what's been done in the past so in the past to set up a, a personalization campaign you got to map out your personas you got to map out all of the content that you're going to use as an indicator and then you've got to and then you've got to map out what you're going to show them and then you've got to create eight different versions of content it's a lot of work plus you have to go through a lot of workshops to figure all this out nobody has the time to do this and so that's been a major hurdle to getting this technology uh, um you know, uh, utilized. So AI now presents a completely. <laughs> so um, AI I don't now. Like pres- sound effects on most shows. I have Blaine. He just comes <laughs> up with that. This is supposed to have been turned off. He looks, like, he, he looks like he doesn't. He looks like he doesn't know technology, and then all of a sudden he has a soundboard back there, and he starts playing songs. This is awesome. That's great. <laughs> sorry for interrupting, but we try to disrupt your focus as much as we can. We're testing your aptitude. I love it. I love it. Uh, so. 
So, you know, I, I think um, it's really going to come down to to us really leveraging the machines to do what they really should be doing. And that's the 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 um, the the kind of rote, uh, repetitive type things that humans really just don't need to be doing. Um, and you're seeing that in every aspect from personalization to digital asset management systems and, you know, digital asset management systems are, are now automatically tagging content and um, or using uh, uh, AI to, uh, to help characterize things for people so that they don't have to go through thousands of photographs and, and make sense of that for the machines. And those kind of foundational things are really important for digital transformation because, you know, for you to create a meaningful personalization experience or a meaningful search experience, you've got to have all of your data and all of your assets properly structured and tagged so that the machines know what to do with it, you know? So um, that that's really what it comes down to. So digital transformation really comes down to building the foundation, getting all of the systems implemented that are, that are necessary to actually start to leverage these more uh, dynamic experiences. Um, I think so. it's important to note before I let you go, I know Nick's in the green room here waiting, is that the engagency model of being able to enhance as a successful brand that excellent customer service uh, with the ever-changing needs that exist today uh, addresses an issue that Blaine and I discuss all the time, which is employee engagement. Because yeah. what I have found is the more engaged the customers are, yeah. the more engaged your employees are. And yeah. considering the high percentage of employees that are not engaged, and engaged employees increase the productivity exponentially. Yeah. Uh, so you have a duplicity of value. CEO and co-founder of Engagency, Engagency.com. You can reach out, big companies, understand the needs of the future. Jason Perry, thank you so much for joining us on Office Hours. Thank you very much. Good to have you here. Great thank insights. You. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. We'll go from the high-tech AI to the new high-tech, the CEO of Kushko Holdings, Nick. I'm going to get this right. Kovacevic. You got Kovacevic. it. There Kovacevic. we go. Kovacevic. Hey, Nicky boy. <laughs> Welcome to Office Hours. How are you? Hey, I'm great. Thanks for having me. I appreciate being on here. I've been really excited to have you on because, you know, obviously there's a lot of rhetoric about cannabis, about legalizing marijuana, understanding uh, the whole industry of cannabis and uh, CBD for me has been extraordinary. The one thing about uh, your space that's remarkable to me is, you know, we look at the social, economical, political, legal impact throughout centuries that have been revolving around CBD and, you know, cannabis. And it's so funny for me as an entrepreneur, because I have more startups, entrepreneurs, venture capitalists that use CBD and cannabis now legally, and mm -hmm. it changes their life so much, right? Changes their life so much that they want to drop everything that they do to start their own business. <laughs> right, <laughs> and that there's good and bad that comes with that, but to me, that's the number one thing that I find so credible uh, about you know the mistakes that we made in the past about the business of CBD and cannabis and the healing power of CBD and cannabis is that I there's no other. I mean, I've been around every single fad you know for 35 years in the entrepreneur space, and you know, cell phones 
all, all you know the spinners you know take whatever you want but i've never seen so many people want to drop everything because it changed their life so much They're like i need to tell everyone that you know i had this problem and i just started taking cbd or cannabis and it is gone and doctors have been trying to feed me all types of expensive medication for years with no effect and the power of it i still think like the size and scope and scale of the audience is unfathomable. Why and how did you get into this space? And what exactly is Kush company itself, your holding company, doing to help these entrepreneurs? Yeah, no, you bring up a great point. And uh, it, it, it truly is incredible. Just across the board in, the, in this industry, and I've, I have the um, pleasure of being able to work with a lot of the leading CEOs at these companies. Um, because Kushko Holdings, we're set up as an ancillary company. So we provide products that don't contain marijuana or CBD um, to companies that deal in cannabis and CBD. So we're dealing, we're, we're selling to all of the biggest players in the space. I get to interact with these CEOs and, and executives on a regular basis. And there's one common theme, right? People care personally about this product and the overall legalization of cannabis because of you know their own personal stories and how they've seen it affect family members etc um, there is that passion present generally across the board of course huge opportunity to make money um, and a lot of entrepreneurs get in you know for that reason but i think at some point you know they they either come in because they had the passion they had a personal experience or they find it along the way as was the case with me so you know you asked how i got in the industry um, i was an athlete all through college played basketball and um, I was always taught that cannabis was bad, right? Smoking marijuana was very bad. Uh, you know, you, 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 go, you become dumb, lazy, um, all the typical stereotypes. And I, I didn't touch the stuff. I stayed away from it. And only uh, once I got reconnected with a buddy of mine, he introduced me to the industry um, from a business standpoint. But I started to meet the people that were experiencing the types of things that you were talking about. I remember seeing a, uh, a man who could... Um, barely move. He had a muscle uh, issue where he couldn't talk. You know, he consumed some cannabis, and all of a sudden, he relaxed to the point where he could actually talk and 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 not you know fidget around. I mean, saw it right with my own eyes. And so you, you know this, you're onto something. Um, and you know, I really started to become an advocate for the space and and ultimately a consumer myself, realizing that all those things that I'd been taught were wrong, and actually regretting that when I was an athlete. I didn't have access to these products and instead was told to take Advil, was told to take opiates for pain, which is crazy how dangerous that was. And, and, and luckily I came out okay, but many people, you know, didn't. And this is an alternative they should have had access to. You know, I just read an article uh, that quoted Jeff Bezos uh, talking about, you know, having a passion is uh, essentially a non-starter. It's not sustainable, but having a cause is something that you can really sink your teeth into. Uh, it has longevity. It has long legs. Um, and David, you know, you were talking about, you know, you know, people, you know, they, you know, I'm going to date myself with this, but they get bit by crusader rabbit and they want to go out there. <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> like, whoa. Um, but that passion weans. And I'm very interested, uh, Nick, in, in, you know, the, in the fact that you're not actually selling cannabis or CBD product yourself, but you're supporting the cause 
uh, with ancillary products, uh, those sorts of and services uh, in, in, in place here. Where, and this is a personal question for you, where does, uh, where does the cause come into play? Because you've been with the company, Kushko, for four, you know, since, it's, you know, since 2014, or, yeah, 2014, and you've just kind of come up and now you're, yeah, you're running this whole thing and it's got to be something other than because you're getting paid a paycheck here. So, yeah. How yeah. does that work for you? Look, I, I, you're exactly right. Um, and I'm actually, we're going through a merger right now. So we're one of the largest ancillary companies. Uh, we're traded on the OTC exchange and we're merging with Greenlane, who's one of the largest companies about the same size as us. They're traded on NASDAQ. The pro forma company will list on NASDAQ. I'm going to be the CEO of the company. So, uh, you know, I plan to be in this industry a long time. And, and the only reason it makes sense for me personally is because I truly do believe in the cause. Um, and, you know, it's across the board. Um, you know, number one, you know, the idea that there's this stigma that, again, I was affected with myself for most of my life out there about cannabis is simply not true. Um, and then there's the medical aspect where people that actually could benefit from this, specifically think of veterans right? They don't get access to it because of the draconian policies that are in place. Uh, to me, that's criminal. Um, and we need to fix that. And then you even go a step further. Just look at what's happened over the last 18 months. We had a pandemic that's rocked the country and the world economically. Well, this is a huge opportunity to create economic value in terms of jobs, in terms of tax revenue that is currently going to illegal cartels. It's not like there's no cannabis available. There's cannabis in every single state and every country in the world. It's just illegal and it's being facilitated by criminals who are benefiting. Let's bring those economic benefits to the law abiding citizens of our country and countries around the world. Um, so that's certainly an aspect. And then the last thing is again, what came about in this last 18 months with the killing of George Floyd. Um, we have become much more aware of the systemic racism that exists in some of the institutions around our country. And cannabis is a contributor. Black people are three times more likely to get arrested for it, despite similar usage as to white people. And that number is as high as 10 times more likely in draconian states like Kentucky. So fixing these laws is also going to have a social benefit in the sense that it somewhat evens the playing field for police uh, pulling people over and looking for a reason to search their car because of the color of their skin, but using cannabis as, as the reason to legally justify it. So, so many fronts when I look at this um, that really could make a huge impact to society. And, you know, of course, also create value for entrepreneurs. I mean, we're a for-profit business, right? Uh, so there's so many reasons, but that cause is what drives me and it drives a lot of the entrepreneurs. And I'll give, like I said, I'll give people in this space a lot of credit for taking up the fight here. Um, and of course, to some extent, everybody's looking to benefit financially, but I think there is a bigger cause here. And I think that's what's driving a lot of the momentum. And we're seeing tremendous success with these companies. So it's, it's a fantastic time to be in the industry. Yeah, and you've had extraordinary growth over the last you know five years straight in the industry. What are some of the ancillary products and services that you see growing uh, and leading the way for your company in the, ne in the next five years? Yeah, great question. Um, you know, one of the products that we sell a lot of is vaporizers. Um, vaporizers got a, a bad stigma when uh, some people were getting sick with lung illnesses a, a couple years ago. 
that was determined to be from chemicals that were added to the liquid. Of course, if people are vaping or smoking or ingesting chemicals, it's not going to be good for them. Regulation is the key to that. Um, now we see the vape category continuing to grow. Actually, consumption within the category um, is still very strong. Um, so we expect vape to continue. We 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 think that ultimately getting away from combustion smoking. So that you know, vapor is in that bucket. Also, edibles, beverages, things. We think there's going to be a next evolution of cannabis, which is going to be the socialization. When you think about alcohol. It is so socially acceptable for us to get together and consume alcohol. And we do it at virtually every opportunity uh, that, that, that we can think of. That's going to come for cannabis. That doesn't exist today. Cannabis has been mainly consumed privately. And so we think there's a huge opportunity there. What are those products going to look like? And for our business, because we sell packaging, how are those products going to need to be packaged? That's what we're thinking about uh, in terms of the future of our company and our industry. It's amazing what's going on, what you're doing, and congratulations on the merger. Thank you. I will yeah. tell you, as a former public CEO, uh, there's some great lessons in store for you as you become a CEO of a public company uh, that is, for me, at least beyond my imagination when I got put into that position. And I'm so grateful to have had that position and learned those lessons. And I'm sure if you need any help, Blaine and I will be here for you. Uh, that's Absolutely. the mindset, the mindset master himself, Blaine Bartlett, who's dealt with the biggest CEOs of the biggest companies in the world and helped mentor me as well. Thank you so much, Nick. And uh, we will keep our eye on Kushko and see what's up next. So we'll gladly have you back to talk some more. Well, I'd love to be back and I'd love to take you up on, on, on those uh, mentorship opportunities. I, I appreciate it. Let's keep in touch. You got it, my friend. The dummy, dummy tax is dummy tax is expensive in the public realm. So you definitely <laughs> All right. take, take care. Cheers. Take care. All right. Now we're bringing on a seasoned vet. Uh, we have a legend here, Kim Marie Branch Pettit, uh, and she is going to talk about her company, Latip, Latip.com, yeah. and uh, you know, talking about the networking power that exists today compared to probably when Marie Kimberly started as with me and understanding how and what we do as businessmen and women uh, around this program that she has created. Uh, welcome to Office Hours, Kimberly. Oh, you got to unmute yourself. I got, you, got you muted Most here. Common mistake. See, we can, we can said, bring the horse you. to water. It's a pleasure <laughs> to be here. Just got off of another Zoom call and did the same thing. So you'd think you'd get used to it after a while. I'm on Zoom all day and I'll get on it. Most of the time it's my biggest interviews and I get on and start talking or, or a speech <laughs> that I'm being paid for. And uh, I'm like, oh my goodness, this is the first time I've ever used this. Um, well, obviously your core competency and specialty is one in which makes the business world go round, professional networking. And so I thought we'd start considering you're the CEO of Latip. I was hoping you would give me the tip of the day. The tip of the day, be connected. <laughs> the tip of the day. <laughs> yeah, with COVID, people have become disconnected. They're not producing like they were. They're out there kind of winging it on their own. So the best the tip tip of the day would be to stay connected. Now, I'm interested. I mean, I get real simple here sometimes. I go, oops. Okay. No, Come back. We're back. Okay, good. You with us here again, Kim, uh, Kim Marie? I am. I'm still here. Okay. Yeah. 
Uh, I, I get simple pretty quick you know, when I start looking at things. And, and naming is, is an interesting activity. What is the name LATIP intended to communicate? And it I'm going to really, ask that question. Right. It really communicates nothing about business. I will tell you the honest truth. I bought the company from the original owner, Ken Peterson, mm -hmm. And he and his wife at age 58 were traipsing around France, backpacking, staying in hostels. And uh, they couldn't, they had, he had started the original tipsters and they did not want to go out and be more prolific. So he let them keep their original group and he started Le Tip because of Le Car. They were in France. They love France. Le Car came out. His wife said, why don't we call it Le Tip? And that is the whole true story. It's been a secret for years, but I think it, it helps because most people think we're a nail company. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, but, okay. No, I was going to say, yeah, the reason I asked that question, because the, the company's history always you know, is fascinating to me, and it's oftentimes held in the name. And just knowing what that history is gives a lot of information to me about what you're up to and how you go about what you're up to. So, I agree. A lot of people have said we should change the name, right? So it's more business oriented. I said, no, it's the, it's the mystery. And it, it, it helps to keep that story involved. Um, I brought it out into the open. It took me probably 13 years to get it out of the original owner. He didn't want to tell anybody. He couldn't tell them what Latip meant. So I told him, you have to tell me the story of how you got it. That way, people will understand your frame of mind, where you were, what you were doing. And it's got a great reputation. We've been around for 44 years. Yeah. Well, yeah, the idea of the soul of business, sorry, David. Yeah, yeah it's, it, it's held in the history. It's held in the genealogy of the company. And yeah, you kind of, how do you get back to that source? Because that's where everything springs out of if you can keep it connected. So, um, yeah, my hat's off to you for this. Uh, I mean, it, it really is. Don't change, don't change the name. I, I love it. <laughs> well, me too. And I decided, I promised him when I bought the company that I would keep it the same. There's no reason to change it. Uh, you know, reputation is everything, is it not? Yep. Absolutely. But, oh, geez. Oh, we okay. lost David. <laughs> okay, so we'll just keep there. Oh, okay, he'll he'll be back in in just a minute. So, um, you know, talk a little bit about you know, the, you know you've got a whole programmatic approach to some things here. Uh, the, you know, your Latip program. How does that work in in the in, in the networking space? Well, you know, a lot of people will show up and throw up all over you at a networking event, and that's not mm -hmm. building relationships. So we start every meeting um, networking for the first 15 minutes. We want to get to know everyone, anybody new coming in. We want them to feel welcomed and part of the family. So we really, truly network for 15 minutes. And then we get down to business. Uh, we start, and I won't go through the whole thing, but we have a speaker that's always from a member. We don't allow outside speakers because it should always be about the members in our group. We're educating the other members to become our sales force by word of mouth. When that's mm -hmm. done, we have a small business meeting. Um, everybody is part of a four-week stair-step program, so they're going to showboat their business so they can see what it looks like. We're visual human beings. The second week, they're going to be the official greeter, greeting everyone. The third week, they're going to be our presenter, the speaker. They're going to be introduced professionally. They're going to sit at the head table. So it gives them a lot of... Um, 
practice at speaking in public and being honored because, it, you know, you're shaking in your shoes the first few times you do that and you're sitting up in front. So it helps them with their confidence and their public speaking. And then the last thing is the, the fourth week that they're part of this program, and it continues all year long, but if you're a larger chapter, you have very few opportunities to do it. Someone in the chapter will actually get your business card and stand up and give a commercial about your speech from the week before. It's phenomenal how that works because not only does another member have opportunity to speak, but we get to see if we've educated our sales force. If they couldn't do a good job, then we need to have coffee with them. If they had a, did a great job, check and on to the next member the next time I'm a speaker. So it's all designed in mind to educate the sales force so that they can actually go out and work and sell us to other people because 20% or less of our business should be coming from the members within the chapter. 80% should be coming from the members from the outside. That's how we grow our business, not exchanging, swapping dollars. So it's really mm -hmm. about moving. we couldn't meet if we didn't have the members there. That's the difference between a professional networking organization and even a chamber or a spinoff or a into a coffee clutch. That's why yeah. I tell everybody, and my second LATIP tip of the day would be to join a professional networking organization. If not LATIP, I'll tell you BNI, because we're probably two of the last standing professional networking organizations worldwide. And it's important that they can belong and follow the structure because the structure is what makes it happen. Yeah. Uh, Ivan is one of my dearest friends uh, over at BNI. He's the founder of BNI. So yep. uh, hats off to him. Uh, you, you know, you're, uh, you've got a bank methodology that is a little bit unique, I think. Um, and it's an acronym, B-A-N-K, Blueprint Action Nurturing Knowledge. How does Correct. that work within the framework of, of, of your, uh, uh, both your program, but also the organization? Well, um, in the organization, I have to tell you, I've encouraged every single member to crack their code so they understand what their own color is. If you understand what your color or bank, as you said, Blueprint Action Nurture Knowledge, if they understand that, I'm teaching them when they stand up to give a commercial, 10 times out of 10, they're going to give, I'm an action person. I will give an action commercial and expect everyone to understand what I'm doing. They're not working for me. So by learning the different codes, what a blueprint was looking for, a nurturer is looking for, et cetera, um, I actually get them to like me and understand what I'm all about. And they sell me much easier to other people because I've taught them in their own language. So we know that it helps us be more respectful to each other. Someone who um, they thought was, I'm an action nurturer, 25-25, so I can be anyone at that moment. So I come across as a nurturer quite often, and people will think, oh, she'll give you the shirt off her back, but I don't think she knows what she's doing. And then they get to work with me, and they learn about me, and I give them a blueprint or a, a knowledge commercial. It's like the light goes on. Oh, I understand now how to make this work. And it's great because they're being able to use it within their own businesses. So they're working with their spouses or their employees. They can share it with family and friends. But most importantly, within the chapter each week, they are recognizing people they need to win over. They are recognizing how to give a commercial in their language so they'll work for them truly as their sales force. We don't want them to have a quarter of the business. We want them to have 100% of the business. Yeah. And no other yeah. networking group is doing that, so it's pretty fun. I'm I'm a certified trained uh, trainer for them, uh, not for them, for myself, but I did it so that I could help train my own people, and it's been fun. Uh, it's amazing, and people are just shocked by what the, the results come out when they start using it. Well, I mean, you absolutely light up when you're talking about 
And uh, <laughs> so I mean, that tells me something. Yeah, it, I, I think, I mean, if I could parse that whole you know, piece down that you just spoke to, it's about you know, creating and, and uh, nurturing and sustaining high quality relationship. Absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what you've got is, yeah, you know, I've got a high quality relationship in that relate in that relationship. People know me and I know them. They know what I'm up to and why it's important to me in a language that they can understand and, and actually speak to. Correct. Is that a fair Yeah. That's truly fair. Um, and when you build that relationship, it's long lasting relationships are what we're all about. We're not a networking past the referral business. We're a relationship business. And once the relationships are built, the referrals come. Spot on. I love that. I love that. And, and that's what business, I mean, I, you know, my business, uh, I founded the company in 87. Um, and I've never done really any overt marketing. It's all been off of referral. And I'm, and I mark that out because I haven't been, uh, even though, yeah, I know B and I very well. Yeah, Ivan, like I said, is a very dear friend. Uh, I've never done any formal networking of any uh, sort. Um, and I've been yeah, yeah, unconsciously competent here, I think, in, in terms of uh, building in, uh, some good relationships because the entire business has been built on referrals. And, and isn't word I, of mouth the best kind? It, 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 it certainly helps me on the advertising budget. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, we sort of did an analysis a long time ago. I wanted to know, uh, I was a banker for 30 years. That's how I got involved with LATIP in the first place. So I like to know the numbers. And I whittled it down to being valued at about $5,000 a month in marketing advertising dollars. Wow. So when wow. a small entrepreneur or a, a small business comes in and they're not spending any money on advertising, this is huge for them. And we've started using social media. COVID has forced all of us to change and, and pivot another way. A lot of our chapters are meeting back in person, a lot of them virtually, and a lot of them hybrid. So they're meeting in person and online at the same time. But we had to come up with different ideas of how we could drive business to them. So marketing is huge. The word of mouth, uh, comments online and, and social media, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, it's huge. Yeah. It's, yeah. What's, what's the average size of businesses that uh, would be a, a member of the tip? You know, I don't know that there's any average size. I know av chapters are average in size of members from 22 right. to 25. That's average. But the business, we, we have large corporate businesses. We have small mom and pop entrepreneurs, solopreneurs. Um, I, I would say I've never taken it and broken it apart to tell you exactly because it's so diverse. And That's it's amazing. Yeah, it's so diverse. Attorneys come in and think that they, you know, they can bring their whole network with them and find out seriously that they, they don't need to do that, that they've got all the people that they need right there in front of them. So, but we can have 16 to 20 attorneys because they're all different. We're exclusive. So only one of each kind. Yeah. It's so diverse. And it depends too on where in the country that they're a member of. Uh, that heterogeneity, I think, is is an absolute uh, resource to be leveraged. Uh, yeah, out of that diversity, yeah, I mean, true, truly, out of that diversity comes some fascinating insights and some fascinating ideas. Uh, so, uh, congratulations again. Well, thank Where you. You know, we, yeah, I'm sorry. We were the first organization to invite women. 
And that was in a time when it was a good old boys club and women were not invited. So from day one, women have been invited here. We encourage women to be part of this because of that diversity. There's no reason as a a CEO and owner of a business, you should sit there and not be in something that can support you. So we've always held our arms wide open to women. Um, I talked to a, a a carpet cleaner that joined not too long ago in a chapter here in Colorado that I visited. He's from Uganda. He said there would never have been an opportunity in Uganda for his business. He's passionate about it. He's so knowledgeable about it. Even though the language is difficult for him, we've been able to keep him in business even through COVID. So those are the things that excite me. Small business is huge. And if we don't protect it, we're going to lose it. And America changes forever when that happens. It does. Yeah, America runs on small businesses. It does. Yeah. Where can people find out more about LATIP? www.letip.com, L-E-T-I-P.com. Um, you can email me, you kbranch at letip.com. So the initial K, B-R-A-N-C-H at letip.com. Uh, you can call our 1-800 number and our staff will give you my personal number. I would talk to anybody. We have staff that does that, but I'm People are very surprised that I answer my own phone and I call people back myself. I think it's very important to be in connection with people. I have uh, an advisory board from a member from chapters in all parts of the country so that I can hear what's going on where they are. When we're making huge decisions, it's all about the members and the people because I don't know what they're going through. I have to understand the mentality and where they are and the, the needs that they have. We have a really prolific um, website now. I, I love people to go on and just check it out. We also have an internal website that's for members only. So once they um, join, they're connected to every member we have. They can pick up the phone and get advice. They can do business, pass tips. Everything that we offer is as a family. We're family owned, and I feel it's very important to be a, you know, family feeling. So when you come to a meeting, we want you to feel like you're part of the family. Beautiful. Well, I certainly feel that in this conversation. Um, check it out, folks. Uh, Latib.com. Kim Marie, I want to thank you for coming on. I absolutely have enjoyed this. I'm sorry that David had technical difficulties. Uh, <laughs> he's been trying, to, been trying to come back in. So uh, we'll just kind of wrap can up. I, can yeah, I put one real quick plug? Um, we franchised yep. in 2019. So if you yep. love networking and you think this would be a great opportunity for you, please call me personally. Let me tell you what, what it would be like, because this is a fun gig. I never have a down day. There's, It's always interesting. It's always different. And most uh, entrepreneurs want that kind of ability. So come and talk to me. Let's see what we can do. And they can get a hold of you directly at K, yeah, K, Branch. K Branch at latip.com. My cell phone, which my staff's going to kill me for, 602-803-8080. Thank you so much for the opportunity to talk to you today. It's It's been a pleasure. Oh, Kim, it's been a pleasure to have you on here. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you. Tell David uh-huh. I'm sorry. <laughs> you bet. He is too. Well, folks, um, we're going to take this as a wrap here today. Connection. This is, I mean, David's not here, but I'm going to just wrap this up by, uh, you know, the takeaway for me. Um, I keep defaulting to this. I honestly do. I keep coming back. Every, you know, organizations are, uh, they, they live and die in, on on the quality of the relationships. Uh, and, and relationships are varied. It's not just interpersonal relationships. It's relationships with anything and everything. Um, I mean, we go, uh, you know, just back to, 
AI, we go back to how your network is structured you know, technically and everything else. There's a relationship that people have there, the customer facing experience, yeah, the quality of that. Yeah, so how is it integrated? And then we, you know, how do you move from passion to, to, uh, to cause? People respond to causes. Passion has a life cycle to it that is hard to sustain. But if you've got cause, you're really kind of moving something. And this is one of the things that I was really struck with with uh, Kim Marie's uh, conversation here, too. Um, yeah, just being connected because what I do is important and I want to have people helping me be successful. So tune in. I think David has got a show coming up tomorrow. I'm not sure exactly uh, what all of the details are on it. Uh, he'll be circling back with you and or his uh, his team will. And I want to thank you guys for listening today. Uh, this is uh, The Office Hours. Uh, check out my uh, mastermind program. I, I get to make a plug here. And David usually would do this. Uh, Learn.bladebartlett.com slash uh, forward slash LMM. It's a phenomenal mastermind program. Uh, leaders cause movement. Leaders open the door to possibilities occurring. How do you do that? You do it by learning how to do it. And that's what the mastermind program uh, will teach you. So thanks for uh, listening. Thanks for being here. And we'll see you after uh, the next uh, issue comes alive here, which I believe while well, we're filming on Monday, uh, Monday and Tuesday next week, uh, Bloomberg TV office hours. Watch for the show coming on. And we are done for today. Matt, Jason, thank you very much, and uh, we'll take it uh, take it home. <laughs>